Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, beautiful people. I'm Brenda Davies, the creator and host of In the Gray. And today we're talking to Tinu Alakor, a black mother of three who almost died during her pregnancy due to hospital negligence. Y'all know I am continually horrified to recognize that black women are four times as likely to die during childbirth in both the UK and the United States. So I wanted to humanize the statistics and have Tinu share her utterly horrifying story with us. This episode reads like an actual horror movie as Tinu begs hospital staff to save herself and her unborn child. She describes the unthinkable loneliness and terror that comes when she's speaking, but no one seems to hear her, like she's in Get Out in the real-life version of Jordan Peele's Sunken Place. This episode is harrowing and heartbreaking, but I truly hope you will give it a listen to better understand what can and too often does happen when a black woman walks into a hospital to give birth. Now, on to the episode. I am so um, unhappy by the circumstance that has brought us together, but I'm also so grateful and just honored that you are willing to talk to me and through this harrowing experience that you had that I'm sure isn't easy to relive or recount. So I just Mm -hmm. really appreciate the emotional task that you are providing today, just so my audience here will become more informed on what it is to be a Black woman giving birth in the UK and America. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. It's, you're right, it's not easy. Um, to relive it but yeah. what I've learned so far is that it's really important to share these stories because so many women are not here to share their stories so I feel somewhat of a responsibility and I'm grateful to still be here and I think it's my responsibility to share what I've gone through if that's going to stop another black woman having to go through what I've gone through so yes it's tough but I'm here for it. I am horrified to learn that the UK and America have this same death rate of black women dying four times as often as white women. And I know that you say very openly and many people are saying very openly that this is due to racism, which Mm. seems obvious to me because this is a racial problem. There was even a senator in Louisiana, I believe he was a senator, who made a horrendous comment saying that if you correct their maternal death rates without using Black women, then their death rates are not that bad. And that 
disregard and dehumanization of black women mm. is stunning. It's it's stunning to me that someone would have a camera and a recording in their face yeah. and they would actually like imagine what this man is saying in private. Imagine someone's mm-hmm. private thoughts if they are saying mm-hmm. Hey, look, it's not that bad if we just Mm. disregard this entire population Mm -hmm. who Mm -hmm. happens to be the same freaking color. What would you say to people who are waking up or who are experiencing cynicism to just explain to them your lived experience and your belief that it is indeed because of the color of your skin? Mm, That's loaded. Yes. (laughs) So I was, I was my background I'm of Nigerian descent, um, but I was born in the UK and I, I consider myself to be British. Um, you sound British. I, as, as do I. <laughs> just a little, right? Just a little. Um, <laughs> just a little. Is that your English accent? <laughs> that was the worst English accent. That was not bad. It's not bad. It from like British to Irish to like New York. I'm like, no, I give up. <laughs> it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. We can practice. We can practice later. Um, so, yeah. So I consider myself to be British and... And I struggle, I'll be honest with you, I really struggle when it comes to race because obviously I don't look white um, and I love my culture, I love my my ethnicity. Um, and so I sort of marry the two, you know, so I, I see myself as British, but obviously I know I'm black and I love my food, my culture, my people. I love all of that. But then when I'm confronted with racism, I tend to, that's like my last consideration. Like if someone was just being an arsehole to me, I would never think, oh, they're just being an arsehole because I'm black. I would just think, you know, they're just an arsehole, you know? It's got nothing to do with me being black. So for me, it's very difficult for me to confront um, racism head on because I'd like to think that people are just looking at me just like anybody else. So for me, the situation with all my births, I've had three children now and I've had three bad experiences with each of my births. Bad being an understatement. An understatement, yeah. Death-defying, yeah. Right, right. And so for me, I think the first I was like, mm, this isn't so great. Maybe the maybe the midwife was just having a bad day, you know? Mm. So I'm always sort of trying to make excuses for these things. So that, And I'm saying this as a premise because I want your audience to know that it's very difficult for me to not consider it to be a race issue when I can see the same midwife treating me a certain way and then the woman in the bed next to me who happens to be a white woman being treated with the due respect and dignity and care that you would expect from a health professional. And so from my perspective, I would say that um, sadly it is a race issue because I've experienced this now, like I said, three times in three different hospitals. Wow. And I would, and, and, and I, I also would say that I was born in London which is like a multicultural melting pot. Like you're not going to get 
any more diverse when it comes to the UK than London, right? Mm-hmm. So you'd think that in London, you'd have people that they're used to seeing black people, right? Like right now I live in the countryside, so I'm like the only black in the village, right? <laughs> so I'd understand if like the nurses and doctors, maybe they don't see people like me all the time, but that doesn't take away from the fact that I'm just human and I have the same blood as white people, right? I've just got the same anatomy. I'm just black. So you may not see many of us, but your uh, treatment of us should be the same as anybody else. And sadly, the treatment that I've experienced has just been just unthinkable. Like, Okay, I want to get into the details of those stories. First, I wanted to mention that I really appreciate you prefaced it with all of that. And Mm. I think to me, I, as uh, an ignorant white girl used to say, I don't see color, thinking Mm. that that would be a respectful thing to say. Mm. And then the, the more informed I became and the more I talked to my black friends, the more inappropriate Mm. I realized that was. And I began Mm. to fantasize a world where frankly, you would encounter an asshole and never have to think it was your race because that to me would be a post-racist society when we are confronting assholes because they just are and it has Mm -hmm. nothing to do with the color of your skin or Mm -hmm. you're receiving horrendous medical treatment because that hospital is horrendous and their system Mm -hmm. doesn't work not because of the color of your skin yes yes so the fact that you went out of your way to say, hey, I'm not a black woman that goes through the world looking for enemies mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. looking at white people as if they're coming mm-hmm. for me. You mm-hmm. had you felt it necessary to let us know that you don't see the world through that lens. You try to look mm-hmm. at people as human beings and Absolutely. encounter them as if they are their own person, regardless mm-hmm. of the color of their skin. And mm-hmm. you in the most precious moments of you and your children and husband's life learned that people were going to look at you differently in these hospital settings. I'll also tell you that, um, like just from my own personal experience, Mm -hmm. I have found so many holes in the medical system because I had a, a, a good birth. I did. I had some mixed experiences going into it where I did mm-hmm. feel definite moments of misogyny or moments where I felt like they were poo-pooing what I was saying, or they were mm-hmm. being arrogant about their education mm-hmm. versus listening to what I was saying. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until we discovered a tumor in my son's face that was life-threatening that I became I mean, I just got an introduction to how horrendous a metropolitan hospital can be. We were at Kaiser Mm -hmm. Permanente in Los Angeles in this like bustling, diverse city. And getting someone to take my concerns seriously was nearly impossible. Me and my um, my baby's father had to go into the hospital every single day as this tumor grew a half inch visually every day back towards his throat, like threatening his airway. I had two different doctors at Kaiser Permanente tell us, this isn't emergent, bring him back if he's not breathing. 
And I thought a lot about what if I couldn't speak English well? What if I didn't have the tenacity to come up to these doctors? What if I actually believed their quote expertise and waited Mm. until my son couldn't breathe? So that was eye-opening. And then it was sometime after that, that I learned Mm. black women are dying at four times the rate and Mm. everything clicked for me because I was Mm. like, I am a beautiful, tall, statuesque, strong white girl living in Los Angeles. Mm. And Mm. that, and my son almost died due to negligence. So I can only imagine, and this is what we're going to discuss here today. And Mm. I, by no means am cynical about what you're telling me, but I Mm. am horrified and it's just so hard to believe. Mm. Can you walk me through maybe uh, do you want to begin with um, like in sequence of your births up to the mm-hmm. most harrowing? Because I'm, I'm almost not looking forward to getting you into that story because I know it was a nightmare. Yeah. So my first birth, yes. my beautiful son, my son, um, obviously first time mama, mm-hmm. no idea what's going on and happy, excited, nervous, you know, all of that. And um, a whole myriad of of issues, but and by the way, I'll also say that I've got a few complex medical issues, right? So you know, sometimes when you've got a, a medical issue, they you're more in in the UK anyway. You're more consultant led, and they don't just allow you to just go with the midwives. You have to have a doctor that kind of checks you, makes sure you're okay, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I was happy with that first baby. I was like, yes, please check me, make sure everything's all right, baby's all right, I'm all right. Let's go. Well, um, me being over <laughs> 35 in Los Angeles, I'm considered what? a um. What is it? What word is oh, it? Oh, we have old. that too. Um, oh, we've got that too. Geriatric mother. Is that <laughs> yes, what you yes, call it? Yes, you. same here. <laughs> I'm one too. We're like some old ass bitches coming in and having babies. I'm just like, dude, are you, this is not 1750. I am not on death's door. Oh my God. <laughs> we have that too. When I, when I first was called a, ge- I said me, geriatric. <laughs> I was horrified. Oh, the you. medical. But yeah, the medical language is also when you really pull it apart is so mm. discriminating and, and sexist and it strange. Is. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so they would check, 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 check me, check me. And I thought, okay, great. Check me a bit too much, but you know, whatever, we'll take it. It's fine. Baby's fine. I'm fine. Um, and they said that they wanted me to have a cesarean. And I was like, why? Like, why? And no one could tell me why. They just kept saying, you need to have a cesarean. You need to have a cesarean. And I said, could you just tell me why? Like, I'm okay to do it if it's the safest thing to do and you can give me reasons, right? Mm. But they just kept fobbing me off and saying, you know, you got to do it, right? You got to do it. And I was like, okay. Um, And my husband, we spoke about it. And he was like, no. He said, we will do it if they explain why. And I said, yeah. Anyway, one day, wait, I could feel gone. I was just going to ask if your if your husband speaking to them had any bore any more weight than you. Like, did- um, not really. Okay, they were sort of very patronizing. You know, first baby, they were like, you know, we think it's best. 
And that's fine. But why? Just tell me why. I mean, in your medical opinion, please tell me why. And they were just, they just kept, like I said, fobbing me off, being super patronizing. And obviously I've never given birth before, so I can't argue with them and say, you know, you're wrong. I I had no idea. I was just like, okay, but you still haven't told me why. So one day I couldn't feel my baby as much as I had been before. And you know, when they say, if you feel any baby left, go and get checked out, make sure everything's all right. So I went in and I said, I can't feel the baby. Could you just check us out, please? Doctor said, yeah, fine. Check the baby. Everything was fine, thankfully. But in that checkup, the doctor said to me, have you decided yet if you're having a cesarean? And I said, um, uh, no, because I still haven't been told why. And she says, well, you need to have a cesarean. Do you know why? I'll tell you why. Because if you don't have a cesarean, what happens is you end up in an emergency and they cut, 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 cut. And, I'm not, and, and these actions I'm doing, this is exactly what she did. They cut, they cut, because it's an emergency. And they just have to cut the baby out and they cut. And sometimes they cut organs. They might cut the baby. Is that what you want to happen? And I was like, was she wearing a Michael Myers costume? Like, who is this psychopath? <laughs> I, I was, I just sat there like, huh? What? She said, yes. I mean, it'd be really irresponsible of you for you to go through, try and have a natural birth because you're going to end up having an emergency. And you know what emergencies are like? And I was like, no, I don't. I don't. And I don't want to hurt my baby. I don't want to hurt me. I don't want to. I don't want that. And I was crying. I was just completely horrified. My husband, even my husband, and my husband can talk. He was like, just stunned to silence. We both just sat there like, what's going on here? And she says, well, here you go. And she just shoved these papers over the table. Sign there. And I was like, okay. Just let's go. And I signed it. And those were the consent forms to say I was going to have a cesarean. You know, have you learned why that happened? Because I know a bit about this. Did you ever no. find out why? No, I don't. I don't know why. Do you it's, tell me, please? Yes, I do. It's because of scheduling. She probably had a little vacation or holidays she was trying to go on. If you have a cesarean that is scheduled right. or a woman goes into a C-section, it's faster. They have shown statistically that around holidays, that C-section numbers skyrocket because doctors lie to patients and say, we got to get this baby out because they want to go home. What? Yes. I cannot speak this with absolute confidence, but the research I've seen about cesarean sections and what, first of all, it is completely medically inaccurate that they would ever be able to predict that you need a C-section based on like you having a healthy baby. They would be able to give you the reason for needing a cesarean, which would be like, maybe if your baby is breech and facing mm-hmm. that way, there's certain yeah. situations yeah. in which they can of say, course. Hey, look, of this course. is where we're at. But as far as if everything is healthy and the baby is head down and everything is going well, that woman just wanted to go on holiday or she wanted to get home by 6 p.m. that day or something. That had nothing to do with your health or the health of your baby. That is just laziness. 
Well, and I and was scared into signing those documents. Of course, I was you absolutely were. petrified. She sounds like an actual psychopath lying to you and saying, "Who knows what's going to happen when they get their knives in there?" They're, women. Yeah. It is supposed to be a pretty clean, safe procedure. It happens like all the time. There's nothing emergent that they can't settle down and make sure they don't chop your baby. This woman was blatantly lying to you. I'm disgusted and also robbed you of the opportunity to have a vaginal birth. Yeah. So this is where the story changed, right? Okay. Because she said I had to have it and I signed it and I packed my bag. You know, you do your little bag. And then on the date I went in and the doctor, you know, when they do like a ward round and the doctor came over and he said, hey, hey, Mrs. Alicor, what are you here for today? And I was like, what do you mean? What am I here for? I came for a C-section. That's what I booked in to do. Isn't uh, isn't that what I'm here for? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. And I said, that's not what I want, though, but that's what I've been told I've got to have. Yeah. And as soon as I said, that's not what I want, he said, what do you mean? And he asked all the doctors that were in the room to leave. And he sat down and he spoke to me and he said, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. And I was like, what do you mean? And I told him what the woman said about cutting and it's an emergency. And if I don't do that, the baby's going to this and that. And I just said, I just can't, I can't deal with all of that. I don't want to hurt my baby. I don't want, I, please just, let's just, I want the baby out safely. That's all I want. And he said, no, he said, you don't have to do it. And to cut a long story short, I ended up having a vaginal birth because he then said, you can come in on another day. So he sent me home that day, even though that I thought I was meeting my baby that day. He said, no, go home. We'll call you back in and um, you'll have an induction. At least then we can kind of manage it and then it'll be fine. But again, they wouldn't explain to me why I needed to be induced. That's what I was going to say. It. Why the induction? No explanation? No explanation. But, you know, after you've just been told you have to have a C-section and then you've just gone through this horror of being told they're going to cut your baby, they're going to cut you, they're going to... And then somebody says, you don't have to do that anymore, right? We're going to give you an induction. It's almost like a lesser of two evils. Do you know what I mean? So you just think, okay, I'll just take that. Whatever that means, I'll take that. So I did because I thought I'm tired of fighting you know I felt like I honestly the whole pregnancy I felt like I was battling arguing who wants to do that when you're pregnant nobody wants that you want peace you know um the woman that the cut 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 woman who knows why she spoke to me like that like I said I'd like to think it was nothing to do with race but the way she belittled me the way she spoke to me the way she kind of coerced me into signing documents who does that? I mean, she could have just been a psycho. Like you say, she could have just been a psycho. She could have just wanted to go on holiday. Who knows? She could have been a I woman off the street with a, a nice doctor <laughs> uniform. Like She sounds insane. And so it sounds like, first of all, there's no accountability for her action. Like she can just go and under duress and under the threat of bodily harm and death force you to agree to a birth plan that is not uh, something that you would have consensually wanted. And then she just gets to show up to work as if she is not behaving that way. That's right. Mm. And I, 
as an aside too, I want to mention the induction thing that is also is like a thing that is not standard. You're not like, I don't understand. Obviously you were being so dismissed and disrespected. It sounds like you didn't have a lot of information to work with. Mm -hmm. Maybe Mm -hmm. there was some justification for the induction, but again, Mm -hmm. a woman's body is miraculous. And Mm -hmm. when you're giving birth, the body knows exactly what to do. We don't need to be induced again. It's a timing. It's a circular, like let's get these Mm -hmm. women in and out thing. Yeah. Yeah. Is control, yeah, 100%. But that was my first um, experience. And thankfully, I was able to have a vaginal birth. Um, second, so my second baby, my daughter, I don't know what you call it, but I give birth really quickly. There's a, there's a name for it. I've forgotten what you call it. Anyway, I was, I went to, dinner with a friend and I thought I just had a bad tummy so because I'd had an induction in my first pregnancy I didn't really know what labor pains felt like you know proper labor pains right I mean Mm -hmm. so I just had no recollection of that feeling so when I was in labor with my daughter I didn't know I was actually in labor until I was almost having her wow so I thought I just had like a dodgy stomach and um I remember waking my husband up and saying, I, I don't know, I think I've eaten a funny burrito. And he was like, a burrito to me. I'm like, yeah, like, I was, I was like, I think, I know, like, you're probably thinking, yeah, 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 but please, can we just go and get checked out? And he was like, yeah, yeah, of course, because he knows I'm not like a complainer. So it's like, if I say something's not right, it's best to just go and check. So we went in, and as I was getting dressed to go in, and we called an Uber, um, I thought, oh, this doesn't feel like a dodgy burrito. It's a little bit more intense. Oh. And I said to him, I think we might be in labour. And he's like, are you sure? I was like, yeah, 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 no, I think so. So we started speeding up a bit because before we were just sort of casually like, yeah, let's just go in, let's get checked out. On the way to the hospital, I thought, right, you're in labour. Like there was no question of it. I could feel the baby coming and I thought, oh, are we going to make it? Like, it actually felt so extreme. I thought, I think, I didn't know if it was a boy or a girl. I said, the baby's coming. I think I could feel the baby. And he was like, oh my God. Said to the driver, look, you're going to have to step this up. Like, you need to move. (laughs) And the girl was like, okay, let's go. (laughs) Let's go. And so we got to the hospital and it's not like the movies. Like, there's no one like rushing out to help you. My husband was like, there's no one here. Like some security guard, like sleeping at the entrance. I was like, what's happening? The baby's coming, the baby's coming. We rushed in, found a hot, uh, a nurse, and it's. She said, "Oh, okay, let's go in." She got a, a wheelchair for me, wheeled me in, and I said to her, "Look, the baby's coming, like now." And she's like, "Oh, okay, don't worry about it. You're here now." And I said, "No, no, no. Like now, please help me." Mm-hmm. You're fine. Come on, let's get you in. Let's get you on the bed. Um, let's find the baby's heartbeat. I mean, when I say this woman was like, I was like, you know, when you feel like you're underwater and you're kind of like screaming out, talking, and no one can hear you. I was like, I looked at my husband, I was like, you need to talk to her. Wow. The baby's coming now. And he was said to the woman, 
she's saying the baby's coming now, not not in like now. And she said, yeah, don't worry. She's fine. You're in the right place. All right, then you just relax. You sit down. You. Oh, my God. And I was like, oh, my God. Okay. And in that moment, like, I just felt so invisible. It was like everyone was, like, rushing around me. They just had this kind of, like, due process, you know, like, you got to do this, you know, when they put the band over your belly, they check in this. Okay, let's check your heartbeat. Let's check your this. And I was like, am I just, am I dreaming? Mm. Can no one hear me? I felt like I was screaming and like no one was listening. Then I was begging her, begging her for a, a gas in it. Cause I remember having gas in it with my first. And, and she's like, yeah, we'll get you gas in there. Don't worry. Just relax. Mm. I was like, no, I'm in a lot of pain. Please help me. I, and my husband was like, she's asking for gasonet. Where's the gasonet? Like he was going to go and get it himself. And she was like, yeah, we just need to move her to the other department. And then we'll, and then my baby's head came out. Mm. And all of the, the nurses were like, oh, Okay, right. And then then everyone started moving fast. But before then, I, I, I was just talking, like, I might as well have been talking to myself. No one was listening. I want gas in it. Yeah, you're fine. Don't worry about it. You just, yeah, just sit down, relax. Let's, we've got to find the baby's heartbeat first. And I was like, but the baby's coming. Why can't you hear me? Mm. Tinu, I'm so, yeah. I'm so sorry to hear this. Uh, it's, it sounds like an actual nightmare. I've had nightmares where you're screaming for help and your voice is just like echoing into nothing and no one is coming to, and to imagine that happened to you in a situation where these people should know better than anyone, how intuitive a woman's mind and body are. When you are in that primal moment of giving birth, you are implicitly in tune with your body and to disregard your intuitive animal knowledge of exactly what was happening is mind blowing to me. Absolutely mind blowing. Oh. Your husband must have felt, how would your husband feel like when you've discussed it later? Like, yeah, so my husband is quite um, assertive and he doesn't really relate to being ignored, I would say. Mm. I mean, he's not used to being ignored. I don't know if it's because he's a man or because he's quiet. I don't know. Um, so I think he found it a little bit kind of like, well, very uncomfortable and it just angered him and he's very forthright. Um but I think even he was a bit like, what's going on? Can't they hear us? It's like, it's just, like, she's in pain. She's telling you, she's telling you the baby's coming. Like, what? Like, and I speak English. I speak English. You can hear me, right? Mm -hmm. I, I'm like, 
what would happen if I didn't speak English? Yes. What, what would what would happen? Like, what is your excuse for not hearing me? What is your excuse for ignoring me? Like, I'm speaking and I'm saying what I need. I'm telling you. I'm telling you the baby's coming. And then I thought, okay, well, maybe they're just sort of so obsessed with process, right? That they're just like, this is what we're supposed to do. When a woman comes in and this is these are the steps that we follow. And that's it. You know, people are very tunnel vision sometimes, you know, they can't see past their process. So this is your devil's advocate scenario. Yeah, this is me. Yeah, this is me trying to say, you know, but then it's like you're midwives. You see this all day, every day. If you're not able to circumvent that process and add a little flexibility, you know, (laughs) we're, we're all screwed, aren't we? I mean, come on. Well, if I don't tick all these boxes that you're used to following, what's going to happen? So at this point, have I'm sure you're running scenarios through your head, trying to make some sort of justification for the behavior. And I, yeah. I know how it feels as well to come yeah. into a hospital, because when I first came in, I remember feeling very surrendered to the process and, and feeling like, Oh, I don't know much about this. I'm about to learn a lot. And what I learned was to like hustle my ass and do some mega research so that I would know how to advocate for myself. Yes. Yes. And I had to pull resources from the ends of the earth to advocate for my son and to learn about the tumor that he had all of these things. Cause I was like, Mm -hmm they're not listening to me because they think I don't have the words and they just think I'm a big idiot for not knowing like the name of his tumor or something. And when I still learned that, and I had all of the perfect vocabulary for everything and was still not heard, Mm -hmm. I had the same thoughts of horror and I filed Mm -hmm. complaints against this hospital. I have letters from them that are basically like, sorry, we're sorry. We're not sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I told the woman on the phone, I was like, you need to listen to me. Mm. I'll say it again, Kaiser Permanente in Los Angeles. I was like, you need mm. to listen to me. Mm. Um, there are women that English is their second language or they don't mm. speak English at all. I learned mm. everything that I could about this process to protect yeah. myself and my child. And it still yeah. wasn't enough. I'm making this complaint on behalf of everyone. Yes. And I'm just... I'm, I'm horrified. I mean, uh, we're always like crapping on America as Americans because we're, we're waking up to all of these injustices and all of these systems that may not be full of bad people, but they're systems that don't work. And in this case, you're dealing with a systemic racism, which again, Mm -hmm. is still mind boggling for me because I was blaming misogyny and sort of Mm -hmm. like, um, an intellectual snobbery or something mm-hmm. I was there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but my question for you is like, now you're at your second experience that was mm-hmm. horrendous, both mm-hmm. are nightmares. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the list that you have made in your head? And how soon are you asking if it's about the color of your skin? Mm. So I put a lot of pressure on myself. Because I I always ask myself, were you nice? Did you deserve that, Tony? Like I'm I'm like always pointing the light back at me. Did you were you rude? Did you come with a slap face? 
did you look did you look like you deserved to be treated like that to me and this is really bad but this is what I do this is what I do because I'm like and then and then because I quite I work with people all the time so I'm always watching body language I'm looking at the person like I'm like and I watch I watch I really watch but when you're in labor it's really hard to have that focus you know because you're focusing on you right you're focusing on the baby but even in those moments I'm like looking at these people that are treating me and I'm thinking you don't look like you don't look like you like me Mm. you look like you hate me and I don't know why did I not smile enough when I came in did I not say thank you? Did I not say hello? What should I have done? Is it is there not a prerequisite that you're kind and caring, regardless of my my demeanor? You know, because that's what I thought professional, you know, medical people are supposed to be like. Like I could come in and be an asshole, but you should still treat me well, right? Yes. That's what I thought. So so for me, even though I do go through this process of, but what did you do to me? Is it okay? Were you good? Were you nice? Were you kind? Were you, did you smile? Did you say hello? I'm like, hold on a second to me. Roll back. Regardless of all of that, you still don't deserve to be treated like that. These people are still in a position of of responsibility and it's a caring profession and they're not caring for you Mm -hmm. that's not okay regardless 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 and a a Um, baby it's about the protection of the baby that's being born of course even if you were just garbage and came in there with your middle fingers in the air they should still like I mean yes of course like I mean, I've, I was listening to, um, a podcast with trauma surgeons, uh, the other Mm -hmm. day. And one of the questions was like, how much do you need to know about a gunshot story? Like when you're treating Mm -hmm. someone's gunshot Mm -hmm. and the surgeon was like, absolutely nothing. The reason Mm -hmm. this person is here has nothing to do with anything. So they're absolutely ethically beholden to treating people regardless of criminal status and definitely regardless of attitude. Mm. But that's like, um, I mean, not to put this on you, but it sounds like some inner child work to do as far as like, am I a good girl? Am I nice? Oh my God. All of that. It's too much. But then it's like, it's honestly, it's, you're totally right. Like I definitely need to resolve those issues because I really feel like, because, but, but the, the thing is, somewhat in my defense, it's because I feel as though I can't, I can't comprehend that somebody would mistreat me just because of the color of my skin. Mm-hmm. I can't comprehend it. So for me, it's easier for me. It's my go-to is, you must have just been an asshole to me. They must have just thought, she's just like, you didn't smile. You didn't say hello. That's why. It can't be just because I'm black. It just can't be. I find that very difficult to fathom. But <laughs> fathom it, I do now <laughs> because this has happened like so many times now. And so like, it's just so sad that even in my most vulnerable 
my most vulnerable moments, I'm like begging. I'm begging for to be heard, you know? I'm begging for someone to give me pain relief. I'm, am I an animal? I'm begging somebody because I'm in so much pain that that I just can't, I just need help. And they're like, you're fine. You're okay. You just wait. You're cool. No. No, I'm not. Like, what, what else can I say? How else can I convey that I need help right now? Why are you not helping me? I, I just, yeah, I found the whole pain relief um, narrative is is very complex because it seems that they think that black women have a different pain tolerance to other women for some bizarre yeah. reason. Yeah, I um, haven't educated myself on this enough. And I do want to interview some of these um, birth equity organizations that are based yeah. in America to figure out what the systemic issues are. Mm -hmm. But I have heard people say things like, yes, there is some false belief that black women mm -hmm. have a different pain tolerance than white women. Yeah. And yeah. that also it's based in slavery and how slaves yeah. were treated yeah. and that they yeah. were discarded. I, I also like you find it unfathomable mm -hmm. that anyone would treat you differently based on the color of your skin, particularly in an environment that is supposed to be built on the ethics of caring for people. It seems like, where do you even have the mental capacity to hold in your brain? Like, don't forget to be racist. Like, can you just let go of that and treat everybody absolutely equal? But I think, I don't know, again, like I said, I have to research it more, but I had heard that theory. Even still though, I, the thing I don't understand is that if black women supposedly have a higher tolerance for pain, Mm -hmm. And then you're complaining about being in pain. Wouldn't that mean that it's completely valid and it's time to give you some sort of relief? That's what right. I don't understand. Right. I don't either. We don't. I, don't, I genuinely, I genuinely <laughs> yeah. don't. It's yeah, I really, I really don't. If somebody's asking for pain relief and you're basically refusing it, I don't get it. I just don't get it. No. And, and, and there are lots of other types of pain relief, as you know, like there's lots. And Gassonaire is not really asking for a lot, you know? That's like um a pain relief that you hold over your face. Yeah. Kind of like a laughing gas sort of situation. Yes. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. I don't even, I don't think we have that here anymore. At least that wasn't offered to me. We just do ep um, epidural. Epidural, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which was heaven yeah. zero regrets loved it <laughs> listen I'm like give me all the drugs, give me all the drugs. <laughs> and they gave me nothing yeah all three, all three births nothing just that guessing guessing three births okay mm -hmm. okay so now we're two births in Yes. I, the time you are getting ready to have your third child are you yeah. now having experienced so much trauma, are you now yeah. worried about the health and well-being of yourself and your child? Yes, that's an <laughs> understatement. Yes. That is an understatement. So when we were when we got pregnant with my third child, 
I sat my husband down and I said, look, you know, I'm not a, I don't make a fuss out of nothing, but (laughs) this is not happening a third time. I'm not dealing with that. I'm not an idiot. Okay. So what we need to do, husband, is we need to pay for private healthcare because I can't risk my life, the life of our unborn baby. I just can't do it. So I was considering a doula. I was considering private healthcare. Like I was like, I'll throw money at whatever I've got to throw it at so that I do not have to face. Because I know this sounds ridiculous, but I thought in my mind that if you pay for it, you're not going to be mistreated because you're paying. This is what I thought, right? Well, you don't sound ridiculous. I mean, everything about this is ridiculous, except you. You're the sane one in the situation. (laughs) Well, this is, well, thank you. (laughs) I was like, I need to pay. And and, and he was like, yeah. He goes, okay, yeah, whatever you want, we'll do it. But then because of COVID, because what I wanted was a doula. You've heard of a doula before? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I wanted to get a doula and I, I started doing research into it and I thought, right, This is what I need, which is also horrendous because what I'm basically essentially saying is that I'm not enough to speak and advocate for myself. I need to have somebody else here because, and hopefully a white woman, yeah, who's going to say to you people, hey, listen to her. She's telling you she needs this, almost like a puppet. I'm just an idiot sitting there because you can't hear what I'm saying. But there's a white woman who I've paid. I've paid her to come and support me so that you can hear me because I'm I'm clearly mute. That's what I was going to do. So, well, at that point, did you think about her being white specifically? Had you yeah, reckoned with that idea? Yeah. Listen, I said to the lady that I, I've, I found online, I told her about my past experiences and I said, I need a, I need specifically to have a white woman or a black woman. I don't mind. In fact, I didn't mind if she was black or white, to be honest. But I would have preferred a white woman just because I feel, which is terrible, but I feel like I'll be heard, you know. <clears throat> but I said to the lady, if it's a black woman, I'm totally fine with that as long as she is like a bulldog. Like Mm. she needs to be able to talk because I cannot be ignored anymore. That is just not a scenario that I'm willing to consider. So these are the two things I'm happy with. Yes. (laughs) Give me a a black woman who's like a proper hardcore, you know, bulldog type character or just give me a kind and compassionate white lady doula and I'll be happy and she's like yeah sure Tinu we'll get you you can pick like you can see their profiles you can talk to them you can get to know them and then you can decide who you want it's like fine and then COVID COVID hit so you can't take anyone with you oh my god so I was like what what am I gonna do so I had to scrap that idea no doula no doula for me I was so scared 
beautiful people. Today's partner has a product I use every dang day. It's A1 by Athletic Greens. I combine cashew butter, oat milk, frozen fruits, spinach, and one scoop of AG1 every morning, and the taste is heaven. With one scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, and probiotics. There are zero GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial flavors, and less than one gram of sugar. And I know that eating healthy can be pricey and feel elitist, but AG1 costs less than $3 a day. Furthermore, and you know I love this, Athletic Greens is a climate-neutral certified company. And for every purchase, AG donates to organizations that help get nutritious food to kids in need. In 2020, AG donated over 1.2 million meals to kids. So to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash godisgrey, that's G-R-E-Y. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash godisgrey to take ownership over your health and support kids in need while doing it. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Let me ask you a quick question. When you reached out to the doula, and you listed out these requests, mm. were they surprised? Had they heard this before? She was, the lady that I spoke to, um, she was not surprised based on my background. And she was actually like, Tinu, that is what you need. Mm. She was supporting what I was saying. She wasn't like, oh, you know, are you sure about that? I don't think that's a good idea. No, she said, yep. Yeah, that's what you need. I'm sure they're yep, familiar. Yeah. 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 It's like, yeah. So, okay. Um, um, but sadly, I couldn't, I couldn't get one. Yeah. What month are you in having, when you go in for this third experience, what month of that is that? Like when were As they? In my, yeah. Say that again, sorry. Sorry. When was your child born? Which month? Oh, oh February. Okay. I was just curious was February. about the COVID timeline. Yeah. So it was still... We were still in not an extreme lockdown here, but still very heightened issues. And hospitals have really strict policies about birth. And my husband wasn't allowed to come to any of my scans. You know, it was very just by myself. I was always by myself, um, which brings me on to the third um, pregnancy. So I got to about 24, 25 weeks pregnant. And I started to experience bleeding. And um, I've had two miscarriages before. And so blood, pregnant, that is like the last thing you want to be seeing. Mm -hmm. I was completely filled with horror. And I've never had a miscarriage so late in my pregnancy before. They're usually quite early. So... 
for me, this was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Like I'm losing my baby, I'm losing my baby, I'm losing my baby. That's literally all that was going through my head. And so I called the doctor, you know, obviously panicked. What do I do? And she was like, you know, um, you need to take a urine sample, blah, blah, blah. Did that. And they tested it and they said, you've got a UTI. And I thought, oh, what does that mean? What does that mean? Is the baby okay? Like, you know, what does that mean? And she was like, yeah, you know, it's 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 apparently normal to experience bleeding whilst pregnant if you get a UTI. It's like not completely like unheard of. And I was like, oh, okay. Are you sure? But you know, you're still kind of like, are you sure? Go on. And I mean, not for, not to be too grotesque, but how much blood are we talking about? Right. So I'm talking like at the beginning, just like a really like spotting, like a really light period, I would say, if you know what I mean. Not not a lot, right, right at the beginning. So I was like scared because obviously any kind of blood in pregnancy for me is equates with miscarriage. That's what I thought. But when the doctor said, no, you should be fine. Um, you just need to take these antibiotics. I was like, okay, okay, let's do this. Let's do this. Got them, started taking them. I think I waited maybe two days. The bleeding was now getting worse. Oh. And I thought, this is not right. Mm-mm. This is not okay. And um, oh, I remember phoning the doctor and saying, this is getting worse. Surely this should be getting better and not worse. What's happening here? And she said, you know, sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. So don't worry, just keep going with the course of antibiotics. Is that even a true statement? That doesn't sound true. It gets worse before it gets better. Uh, go on. Sorry. <laughs> Who says that to somebody? <laughs> These are psychos. I don't, I'm horrified. And, and bear in mind, right, all of this is over the phone, right? Nobody's seen me. Because of COVID, you can't go in to get checked unless you, so for the, it's called a GP. I don't know if you've got them in America, but like your local, yeah, yeah, your local GP, yeah, your local general practitioner. And so all of her appointments are just on the phone, right? And she told me, these are the antibiotics you need. Um, and my husband just went to pick them up. I got them. So at no point did she see me. And so when I was telling her I was getting worse, she was like, yeah, don't worry. You know, it gets worse, but it gets better. Just keep, you got to finish the course. And I was like, Okay, but that night I went to the toilet. It was like a horror show. Mm. And I thought, this is not right. This is like, this is not right. I just thought I've lost my baby because it was not just like a bit of blood. I'm talking like the, the toilet was full of blood. And clots, you know? Mm-hmm. And I thought, this is like, how is everybody telling me this is okay? This is not okay. And so I thought, do you know what? I'm tired of being fobbed off. So I said to my husband, it was late at night, maybe 10 o'clock. I said, look, I'm going into the hospital. I need to get checked out. This is not right. It's too much blood. This is like, I think, 
I thought, I thought I'd lost my baby. And he said, yeah, please go, go. Because he couldn't come with me because of COVID. So he's, he had the two other kids. They were in bed. He said, right, just keep calling me. Let me know how it's going, what's happening. Just keep in contact. I said, yeah, fine. I drove to the hospital. And because of COVID, you have to phone before you go. Because you've got to tell them you're coming in. I mean, that doesn't even make any sense. If it's an emergency, why do you have to call first? Just go in, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm outside the hospital and I'm phoning in the car park and I'm saying to the lady, um, hello. Um, I told her my name. I had my hospital notes with me. I said, I'm really scared. I've been bleeding for the last couple of days. It's progressively getting worse. The doctor said I've got a UTI, but it's getting worse. I really need to be checked out. Please, can I come in? Please, can someone help me? I think I'm losing my baby. You, you're on antibiotics? I said, yes. She says, well, what day are you on? How many days have you been taking it? And I was like, in my head, I was thinking, why is this woman asking me? Why is she not telling me to come in? But I thought, just answer her questions, answer her questions. I said, um, yeah, I'm on uh, day, I think, day three, day four, no, day three. Um, and I think it's like a week course. He said, well, you haven't given it a chance to work yet. So just go home. Go home. <sighs> on on what planet an eight-year-old child could tell you if a woman is bleeding while pregnant that it is a sign of miscarriage? On what planet? So did you turn around? So I was outside. She's telling me to go home. And I was like, I can't go home. I can't go home. I'm losing my baby. What do you mean go home? Go home? I said, I, I, I said no, I, I don't think you... Did you understand what I just said? And she's like, yeah, I do. I do understand what you said. And you just need to go home. You're not an emergency. You need to go home. I said, can I speak to somebody else, please? I need to be checked. I need somebody to check me. I think I'm losing my baby. I can't go home. She said, well, I could give you to somebody else, but they're just going to tell you. They're just going to tell you the same thing as what I've just told you. You just need to go home. I just, I couldn't believe what she was saying to me. I was crying. She could hear, she could hear the distress in my voice. I said, please, I I need someone to check me. She said, well, if you want, you can come in. If you If it will make you feel better, you can come and sit here but you're just going to have to wait because we're actually dealing with emergencies here. So if you want, you can come in. If it'll make you feel better, you can come in. But you're not an emergency. So I put the phone down and I just sat there for a while. I was just, 
I just didn't know what to do. I mean, what do you do when, when you, you need help, when you, and someone's just telling you, just go, just go. Where do you go? It's a hospital. Where else can I go? Where? I, 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 I just sat there thinking, what do I do? I didn't want to call my husband. What's he going to do? He can't help me. The hospital doesn't want to help me. I just sat there bleeding. And I just thought, oh, my God, you're on your own. I thought, right, okay, Tony. You just, you're going to have to go in. You go in. It doesn't matter how long you have to wait. Mm. You go in. You have to be seen because you you can't go home. And I I went in and uh, the woman at the desk was the same woman that had answered the phone. And she said, are you the lady that was on the phone? I said, yeah. She said, well, take a seat. You know when they take, you know when you're pregnant and they always ask you for like a urine sample, right? Yeah. It's just like a normal thing. Every appointment, they ask for a urine sample. So they asked me for a urine sample and the bleeding was so bad that they couldn't test it because it was just blood. And? And and that didn't make them do it. They just said, oh, oh, we can't test that. Just take a seat. Just take a seat. And I sat there. I sat there for, for three hours. Oh, my nobody God. Nobody saw me. And then when they eventually came, the nurse came over and she said, oh, you can come in now. And she did, you know, when they do the, it's called like a Doppler thing. And they... Yeah. Check the heartbeat of the baby. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She did that. And I could hear the heartbeat. I could hear my baby's heart. And I thought, oh my God. Oh my God. And I was like, the baby's alive. But I thought, I thought, I didn't know if. The baby was alive, but I was losing a bit. I didn't know. I just thought, I'm still bleeding, though. Does that mean the baby's, like, dying? Like, what does this mean? And she said, oh, the doctor will be with you. Just take a seat again. Take a seat. The doctor came in and I explained what had been happening. And, and he said to me, oh, yeah, it's, you know, you've got a UTI. I oh, said, Jesus yeah. Christ. Everyone's told me that. Everyone's been saying that I heard you, but I'm still bleeding. He said, yeah, you know, that's just part of, that's just part and parcel of of UTIs when you're pregnant. No, it's fucking not. I said, is it? No. He said, yeah, yeah. So I said, could somebody please examine me? 
because I don't know where this blood is coming from. And it's a lot. It's a lot of blood. This is not normal. He said, oh, no. He said, no. There's no clinical need to examine you. Have they been given like a mandate to kill black women in childbirth? Like I, this is the most layman's basic knowledge of pregnancy, pregnancy 101. If you are bleeding even a little bit, if you're spotting, it could mean your baby is in the process of dying. Everyone that is common knowledge. I just am flabbergasted. Okay, so you so have they, now spoken they, to like three different people that are all ignoring yeah, me. Nah, yeah, all ignoring me. The doctor said, no, don't need to examine you. I said, I don't understand. Why not? There's no clinical need. What does that mean? And then I said, but okay, even if there's no clinical need, could you please just examine me? Yes. To put my mind at rest, please. Because I I don't know where this blood is coming from and it's a lot. Could you please just ascertain where it's coming from? What is it? Can you stop it? What is going on down here? He said, there really is no clinical need to do this. So no, we just don't examine people willy-nilly. This guy is just, wow. So I said, okay, is there anyone else I can talk to? Is there like a senior person, consultant, anybody? You know, like when you're in a restaurant and you're like complaining about a bad steak or something. I'm like, is it, could I, could I, anybody else? Can I just, is anybody going to listen to me? Nope. He said, well, I could go and if you really want me to, I can go and ask one of the senior consultants if he agrees with me or not but you know he's probably going to say what I've just said and I said okay please please go and ask because I I just cannot imagine leaving this hospital without anybody examining me it just it, it seems ludicrous and he said well okay I'll go and ask he went and asked and guess what what guess what there is no clinical need to examine you, Mrs. Alacor. Go home. So I went home. Oh my God. Still bleeding. Still bleeding. And now, by now, it was like, what, two, three o'clock in the morning? So I drove home, middle of the night, crying, stressed, thinking, oh my God, where do I go? And I live, this is the John Radcliffe Hospital in Oxford, right? In the middle of nowhere. There's not. It's not like London where, you know, there might be another hospital in like, you know, 20 minutes down the road, half an hour down the road. This is country. There's nowhere else. Nowhere else that I know of, should I say. So I was like, oh my God, Tinny, what are you going to do? I went home, husband sleeping, don't want to bother him. What do I do? I stayed up the whole night just trying to think, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? In the morning, or I should say the morning, it was morning, but at about eight o'clock in the morning, I phoned my, you know, like when you have hospital notes, 
there was a number in it. It said emergency. So I thought, call them. And a lady answered and I told her what happened. And she was like, what do you mean they wouldn't examine you? Mm. I said, they wouldn't examine me. What do I, please help me. I was like, I'm bleeding. My, I don't, they, I heard the baby's heartbeat, but I don't know if the baby's dying. I don't know if I'm dying. I don't know what's happening. Please, where do I go? She was like, oh my God, just hold the line. She, I don't know who she called, but then she told me to go back to the same hospital that had just told me that I had, they had no medical reason to, to examine me. And I was like, go back? They just turned, they just told me to go home. She said, no, 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 I've just spoken to them. They're expecting you. Please drive back there. I was like, oh my God. And thankfully, you know, like when you get a changeover of staff? Yeah. So the night staff had gone home. So when I got back there at nine o'clock in the morning or whatever it was, it was a whole new set of people. And they took me seriously. And they examined me, which takes all of 30 seconds to do. So while all the other doctors were telling me there was no clinical need, there's no clinical need, all that conversation, they could have just done it. Yeah. And I was hospitalized for two weeks, bleeding. And I had to have two blood transfusions because of the amount of blood that I lost. Is that okay? All because you just don't care? Because I don't matter? What sort of follow-up has happened to this story? Because is there any such thing as accountability? Was there any explanation for your treatment? It gets worse, Printer. It gets worse. So that to me was bad enough. Do you know why I complained? Not because of that, because that was bad enough. But because when I told the G, I told the GP, I said, I'm I can't have my baby in this hospital. They're gonna kill me. Yes. (laughs) I said it to her. I was like, this might sound a bit melodramatic to you. It's not melodramatic to me. I cannot have my baby in this hospital. So you need to find me an alternative. Yeah. Anywhere else, I'm going it. My baby. But I am not going back to the hospital. And she was like, I'm so sorry, Tinny. And she was reading my notes. What happened? What? And she was reading it and she said, No, Tinny. No, the doctor's written here that you declined examination. Oh, my God. Oh, my look, God. Look, 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 Tinny. Look, it says here, you refused. You refused, Tinny. It doesn't say you begged for it. No, look. And that is to escape legal accountability if you died and your husband tried to sue them. They had it in writing, a lie to help them not be culpable for your death. So this is what you complained about? So, so I wrote, I was like, they, they said what? I mean, who? nobody reads their medical notes. 
Who does that? You don't sit there reading your medical notes. How many other people are they lying about? How many other people? Where's the integrity? How can you, how can you falsify medical notes? And, and if the doctor was so confident in his decision to not examine me, why did he lie? Why did he write that? I thought, no, I can't not say, oh, come on. You can't just let that one go. I'm so sorry. No. I begged you. I begged. And you said I refused? So you file a complaint and I'm so guess, wild guess. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. Do you know what they did? What they did. And I did it whilst I was in hospital because I had, I've got, I've got two kids, right? I don't have time to sit down writing complaints, but whilst I was in hospital, I had all the time in the world. So I was sitting there writing it, thinking, right, I need to, this is not okay. This is not okay. And I wrote the complaint and I sent it in and they take however long they take to investigate. Mm. They don't really investigate anything. I'm sure. Um, They just sort of, yeah, okay. Mm, Yeah, okay. What they did was they summoned me into the hospital. So once I was discharged, they read the complaint and they said, we'd like to invite you in. And I stupidly thought, They were going to come and say, you know, we're so sorry about your experience. Please, let's discuss, you know, ways forward. How can we avoid this? What happened? Let's think about what we're going to do to address this. What are we going to do to the doctor that wrote that lie? What are we going to, where's the accountability? Where's this? But that's what I thought they were going to do. But no, what they did was a nurse and she was a senior midwife. I think she was like the head of the midwifery team or something. She summoned me in and I felt like a child being told off. She said, so what happened? Oh, right. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, so hold on a second. So you asked to be examined, did you? Right. You asked. So who did you ask? And so what did they say? Right. Right. So, so hold, hold on. Why didn't you make a complaint then? Why oh. didn't you make a complaint then and there? I was busy did... getting blood transfusions to try not to die. I had Why my hands you... tied. <laughs> you should have, what you should have done, you see, next time, what you should do uh-huh. is make sure that you call a more senior consultant because they'll be able to resolve this, the issue. And did you tell her you did attempt to do that? First? Yeah, I did. I did. Well, that person clearly wasn't senior enough. What you should have done is said, well, they're just saying the same thing as that person. So could you please find me somebody else? That's what you should do next time, Tilly. Yeah. The corruption of this establishment is so clear. Oh, my God. It's beyond a joke. She sat there and basically told me off for not um, not complaining, not doing what I should do. And that, to me, just, that can only come from a white privileged background. You can't say to a black woman who's just been through a situation where she's been told that she will not be examined and then tell her that it's her fault that she wasn't examined because she didn't complain enough. 
and you don't feel that there is any of your responsibility. And also the staff that dealt with me, the ones that told me to go home, mm-hmm. yeah, the ones that told me that, that there was no medical need to examine me, none of those people are going to have face any accountability for what they've done. And then the doctor who then wrote that I refused to be examined, he is not going to be confronted with, hold on a second, Mr. Whoever you are. Why did you write in a, in a, in a patient's notes that they refused when they begged you? Why is there a disparity in what happened? He's still, he's still out there doing whatever he's doing. <laughs> and I really, honestly, my, my concern is that with all this responsibility that they have, there is absolutely no accountability. They are allowed to, to do as they please with absolutely no recourse. The complaint system is an absolute joke. It is just a file pushing mm-hmm. process. All right, we got it. Thank you very much. We'll put it there. Park it. Bye bye. Mm-hmm. And for anyone like I, I love that we are an American woman and a woman in the UK talking about this because I can affirm what you're saying. Anyone who wants to be like high and mighty on America, the same damn experience happened to me as far as the complaint, the zero accountability, the pretending, I mean, at least I got some TLC and the woman lied to me and said that she gave a damn that my son almost died in their care, but you know, that being the major differentiation between the way you and I were treated. But mm. I know just imagining the needless and countless amounts of death that are occurring in that place just because of this system. And I don't understand how it's so corrupted because with the police, when you learn, like I, as a Christian woman, I know you're a Christian woman too. I always hearken to the Bible verse of the rotted tree. You look at root rot. If a system has rot and all the fruit is rotten, it's because of the roots. The tree is bad. It's not the apples that are bad. It's the whole thing. So with policing, when I woke up and realized what was happening, you know, when you learn that they were originally employed to retrieve slaves that had run away, you're like, Mm -hmm. oh, okay. Systemic racism is built into the fabric of this system. And, you know, whether you believe it needs to be burnt to the ground or reformed, you have to acknowledge that it was built on that rotten, rotten root. With hospitalization, I'm having such a harder time wrapping my brain around it. And again, I look forward to having more conversations and investigating why the F this is happening because... Mm -hmm. I don't understand why the hospital has such root rot. I can understand a a system that's overworked, but when I was in the position of begging and like clamoring them for, to save my son's life, it was actually a black nurse who found me and his father in the hospital room. And I had finally called my insurance and I told my insurance, we need to leave this hospital. They're going to kill my baby. I have to get out of here. 
And right after I made that phone call, this black nurse pulled me aside. She shut the door behind her as if she was telling a secret, came up to us and was like, you need to leave. You need to get your son out of here immediately. I hear what they're saying behind closed doors and they are not listening to you. They don't believe it's a problem. And I, I was so, I mean, like you can imagine finding one person that actually finally listens to you. It's like my whole face brightened up and I was like, oh my God, a human mm-hmm. being in this environment. And I mm-hmm. talked to her and said, thank you for acknowledging Mm -hmm. the truth. Thank you for reiterating to what I know as a mother, which is that they're going to kill my son. Mm -hmm. And she was like, absolutely get out of here. Point being, there are so many parallels in our stories Mm -hmm. as far as the hospital and the Mm -hmm. root rot that I see in the systems that don't work. A lot of times I've just thought, well, the system at Kaiser maybe is just a communication issue. They had the worst communication I'd ever experienced. Like when Mm. I had my son, I was asked five times if I was ready to circumcise him. And I was like, can you, can you write this down? Do you mind not waking me up every two hours to ask me the same mother effing question over and over again? Like, can you just, do you mind? And that happened all the time. Every single new nurse that came in was like, tell me the story from the top. And I was like, holy Molly, can you please get your shit together? And the answer was, no, we can't because our system is broken. So you're saying your devil's advocate was like, maybe I wasn't a smiley enough. My devil's advocate was like, well, maybe your, maybe your system doesn't work. Maybe your computers and the way you notate things is just, but there are deeper undeniable problems. I, I, experience misogyny. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I obviously Mm -hmm. had no experience of any sort of racism because of the skin Mm -hmm. that I'm in, Mm -hmm. but I just really don't understand why this is happening. And I will definitely keep you informed and send you interviews as I do them, because I imagine you're really curious as to why this happened to you and where the systemic racism is coming from or or Mm -hmm. why it's so prevalent and why they were so ready to let you die and to let your baby die. It's, it's mm. just so glaringly obvious to me mm. that you were completely disposable in that situation. And I'm, I'm so, so, so sorry. And I'm so blessed to have shared these moments with you to hear this story. I'm just even just the way you just put that, you know, they were ready to let me die. Yeah, they were. It's a lot to take in. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you just want to give life, right? I'm just, I just want my, like, why are you trying to kill us? We just want to give life. We just want to give life. And take care of your two existing children who would be without a mother. That's all I wanted. My story, uh, I don't know if you read the, the end of my blog post, but because of the shit that they put me through, and I said I wouldn't go back to that hospital, they um, 
basically gave me my own midwife. And she was like an angel. Mm. She, I mean, I say angel, she was lovely, but she was just like how all midwives should be. <laughs> yeah, she's just, you know what I mean? She's just like, a medical professional. Yeah, right, wow. right. Oh my God. I, say, I know, right? I'm like, the bar is so low that I'm like, listen, this woman is just like amazing. Yeah, now she's like but the she manifestation really of Jesus Christ just for doing her job. <laughs> But she was, I mean, she listened to me. I mean, the, if you talk to lots of black women, this is not something that, if I thought it was just me, and, you know, just like I said, just had a bad day, you know, they just had a bad day, blah, blah, blah. But the stats don't lie. Mm-hmm. And do you know what's worse about those stats? Those stats don't cover people like me, Right. They only cover the people that died. Yes. So if you think about it, the statistics must be pretty horrendous when it comes to all the near misses, all the women that could have died, all the women that were treated so badly that they could have died, their babies could have died. The stats don't cover us. So so actually, the situation is worse than what the stats are presenting. right now and it's it's it it, it's it's scary it's scary that you can't a place of healing apparently is now a place where I I feel like I go into battle like I go in and I'm like right (laughs) you know (laughs) what's happening here like Who's How can I survive me? this place? How can I get through this? Yeah, like literally, I feel like I have to put on armor, you know? It's just, it's scary. It's scary. And I and I promise you, the situation that I was in, I wonder sometimes I think about it. What if I hadn't have gone back? What if I hadn't have been persistent? What if when she was when I was outside the hospital and the woman was telling me, go home, just go home. You don't need help, just go home. What if I bled to death? It's quite a distinct possibility. I mean, you don't just give somebody two blood transfusions for no reason. It doesn't happen. No, I mean, I think it is very clear that if you hadn't literally fought for your life and fiercely and tenaciously and consistently advocated for yourself, you would not be living to to tell me this story. And all those women that didn't, that couldn't, for whatever reason, why do you, why do we have to fight to live? What year are we in? What country am I in? I was born here. <laughs> I was born here. I'm a, I, I, are we now like, are we so blasé now that it's okay? It's okay for a doctor or a nurse to have these prejudices to be discriminatory it's okay because they're still doing their job kind of it's okay if a few black people die a few asian people die a few it's fine it's just part of the course people die well back to where i started the conversation with what that man in louisiana said 
If we remove the maternal death rates for black women, we're actually doing great, which also isn't even statistically true in those states either. Somebody said that Mm -hmm. out loud. Mm -hmm. You're right when you said, so what is he thinking in his head? If he could publicly say that, he can publicly say that. You know what's scary is that you can't, um, I can't force you to like me, you know. You might not like me. You don't have to like me. We're not, it's not about liking me. I, I don't care if you don't like my face or you don't like my hair. That's not the point. I do. Your role. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> a bit of a mess, to be honest. Well, but no. you know, <laughs> your role is to treat me. Close your eyes and treat me as equally as everybody else and and where they fall short of that these people are not being pulled into line and that is scary Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. so scary you were being pulled into line they invited you in to bully you into silence and this is why I'm so proud of you for doing interviews and speaking out publicly about this because I found you via a great Instagram account called pregnant then screwed (laughs) Um, yeah and she did um a feature on you so that's where I discovered you and I was just fascinated to realize that you were having the same systemic issues in the UK that we're having here you have subsidized universal health care we have paid health care no difference because it does seem that the only thing we can like conclude is that the color of a woman's skin is factoring into whether or not she's going to survive childbirth. And that just needs to be amended. And I don't know the path forward, but like I said, I will invite more people to speak about this, experts who have a knowledge on why this is happening. And I'll happily share all of that with you. And do you have any final statement or anything you'd like to say? Thank you for doing this this interview with me. Thank you for shining a light because I feel like the more we talk about these issues, the more we put it at the forefront of people's minds. Hopefully, I'm hopeful that um, we can start tackling them. And I know I don't want to seem pessimistic because I'm 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 more of an optimist than a pessimist, but it's taken us a long time to get where we are when it comes to the police. The police still have a lot of issues, despite the label of being systemically racist. So, you know, the NHS, as we have over here, it's going to take a lot for them to even admit to systemic racism. That's like something that people, during COVID, we were clapping did you hear about that? We were clapping for the NHS because they were amazing. You know, they looked after people. You know, we don't want to take that from them. But that then they kind of hide behind that, you know. They hide behind that. Yeah, we were brilliant. Yes, you know, all these people survived COVID, but we're still killing black women during pregnancy and childbirth. We don't want to talk about that bit, though. We don't want to talk about that. But it's so important that we don't hide behind the, the, the positive side and almost ignore the negative because that's what that's what people do. They don't want to talk about the negative. No, we don't. We don't want to talk about that bit. We don't want to talk about that bit. You know, 
Um, it's very British, so, I must say. <laughs> very British. Yeah. <laughs> it's very, very British, completely. Like just um, under the rug, nobody yes, looks at. Let's just, we'll just leave that one alone. But my passion is coming from A, the women that have died. I feel like I feel obligated to speak and I will continue speaking until someone tells me to shut up. <laughs> well, even and also then, just keep going. Right, right. But also, I have two daughters now. I have two girls. I don't know if they're going to want to have kids one day. I don't know. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. But the thought of them going through what I've just, I just, it, it's no. Mm-hmm. And you know, as a mum, you, all you want to do is protect your kids. This has to stop now. Amen. This blatant disregard for our lives has to stop now. This dehumanization of black women. This whole, like, one doctor said to me, you're really nice. You know, these kind of microaggressions. Hmm. What do you mean I'm really nice? What does that mean? Why wouldn't I be nice? And then, you know, when people say black women, um, have you heard that term, angry black women? Yeah. So I find that this is a lot of the reason why black women sometimes don't confront certain issues that they face because they don't want to be labeled as that angry black woman even if what they're saying is completely legitimate they're like mm, actually I'm just going to be perceived as this you know angry black woman and that is not fair it's not fair to label us and then not listen to us I just really look forward to this changing and I am grateful that there are advocates and and fighters like you and many other people more, more and more and more standing up and recognizing that not only is this wrong, but it needs to stop. Yeah. So, so much love to you. Thank you again. Me too. It's lovely talking. I've really enjoyed it. (laughs) Yes. Vice versa. And we love you all so much. God bless. Bye.